Tony Reardon, you're an Irish Jesuit. You're back home for a break for the summer for a few weeks and heading back to Syria. You're working there in Damascus, Aleppo and Homs. What's it been like? How long have you been there and what is the situation? Uh, so I've been in Syria just over a year. It's good to mention the word Syria because I think Syria, like many other conflicts, are in danger of being forgotten. While the grotesque number of deaths in Syria is not happening, there is still conflict in Syria and it's in the 11th year of a crisis and the, the post-war situation is causing a, a greater humanitarian crisis in, in many respects. I was shocked the first time a, a Syrian said to me, Tony, give us back the bombing because we had some chance of survival. I was shocked by that. Oh, that's shocking. Yeah, just, just mentally people feel during the intensity of bombardment and bombing that there would be a break and then they had an opportunity to find food. They had enough uh, fuel to keep themselves warm. They had uh, the ability to get clothing. They had some access to medical care. That has all changed. So the bombing has stopped. But as Cardinal Zanari, the papal nuncio, describes it, now people are suffering the bomb of poverty. And is that because they've been forgotten, Tony? Is, is the international community have moved on. There's no bombing, you're fine. There's a combination of that. But like after 11 years of war uh, and a devastated infrastructure, hospital schools devastated, an economy that's devastated, that has lost 70, 80% of its GDP, and international isolation, the strategy of, of the West during the war has not been reframed and that really needs to be looked at and I think there's a real role maybe for Ireland to play in reframing the strategy on Syria because the regime is now in control with the Russian support of about two-thirds of the country and the sanctions and that regime is not working to change and to get their objectives of changing the regime in Damascus. What's happening is it's making ordinary people suffer. And I think this is not good strategy. And it'll actually come back to bite the West, but it's also creating an amazing humanitarian crisis at the moment. So what could the Irish government and the Irish people pressurising them, what would you like to see them do and say? I think the first thing is do not forget Syria. Syria is one of the great humanitarian situations of the world currently, and it has been for the last 10 years. And it, it was one of the places where what we see in Ukraine at the moment, it was kind of the rehearsal, if you like, the level of devastation in Homs, Aleppo, and throughout uh, Syria, just whole towns and cities bombed. 8 million people forced to flee the country, 12 million people losing their homes internally and having to have to leave their towns, cities, neighborhoods. So you have a devastated population. So the first thing is do not forget. And we need to keep this on the radar and say this is something we need to continue as an international community to address. There is the keeping the focus on that it needs humanitarian aid, which is only always going to be remedial intervention. And it needs complex, mature international diplomacy to move the long-term situation on, to resolve the political and constitutional crisis of Syria, which is largely a problem that Syrians themselves need to address, but there is a very large international dimension to it because the West and Russia and Turkey are all in the mix and Ireland can only play a small part, but every voice in this uh, call for international change and the reframing of how to solve the problem of Syria is really, really important. Is the U.S. still involved? And what's the story now with Biden? Yes, the Americans are still present in part of Syria, supporting mainly the, the, the Kurdish community. And that northern part of Syria is still 
hugely contested between the, the Syrians, uh, backed by the Russians, by the Americans and the Kurds, and then Turkey has a role. I, I, when I travel from Damascus to Aleppo, my Irish SIM card never works in Syria until I pass through this region and it says, welcome to Turkey. <laughs> so uh, it's just Turkey. a reminder, welcome to Turkey, you're roaming da-da-da, uh, and no way could I afford the roaming fees, but, uh, but it's an interesting reminder of the influence of the international community in Syria and therefore its responsibility to move the situation on. In terms of the Kurds, are they still fighting? I mean, they've been a strong rebel force there. You said the conflict has changed. Is there any actual fighting on the ground or is it now just the low-level attrition of poverty and neglect? There are hotspots and there are the military engagements, but they're remote from the areas we're operating in as JRS and the Jesuits. We're, we're in the uh, regime-controlled areas of Damascus, Homs and Aleppo. But the real attrition is, you know, people are dying because of inadequate nutrition. People are dying because they get ordinary diseases like cancer or they need a heart stent and they cannot access the medical care. Some people died of COVID, not so many because already so many of the older people are already dead. So poverty poverty kills in a very slow, almost hidden way and it's, it's very difficult for international or local media to capture the, the way the bomb of poverty kills people, but it kills people, it does. And you see that firsthand. You, you mentioned a woman that you know there. Absolutely. I've seen just so many people who got a minor illness and uh, just because they weren't able to access the care that we might be able to access here in, in Ireland, they died. This is one of the great interventions that JRS runs uh, in Aleppo. We provide primary health care and access to life-saving medical treatment for about 40,000 people each year. And that's amazing. But there are like over 12 million people in need. So that's a very small contribution. It matters hugely to the people we, we support. But there are so many people who are not able to get that support and who, who suffer and who die or who endure life-affecting illnesses or they live every day with hunger. Parents live every day with the choice of, do I take the medication for my blood pressure or do I feed my children with, with bread today? Gosh, that's very stark, isn't it? I mean, lots of people in Ireland take a blood pressure tablet. I take one myself. The idea that you're debating whether to take it or... That's really awful, Tony. It is, and this is the reality we see day in, day out, where parents are choosing sometimes to prioritise that the hunger needs of their children or the heating needs of their house over their own um, medication for something like a chronic thing, and you kind of hope, well, the blood pressure won't affect me, but eventually that can catch up, as we know, if you don't take medication, or, or the same for you know coronary medication uh, or other diabetes medication. Uh, it all costs, uh, and it's a small amount, but so is a small amount for bread. And the thing is, if you only have the small amount and you have to make a choice, I think most people will say, I will choose to feed my children today. And we have seen situations then where the disease deteriorates and in some cases become fatal. So this is how poverty kills in Syria today. And a question for you. A lot of people, when Syria was in the news and making the headlines, I mean, we just saw the devastation of the bombing and places just raised to the ground. 
Have they been able to rebuild? Does it look like it's a country coming back to any sort of normality? I doubt it from what you're saying, but maybe there are wealthy spots where that's happening. There's very little evidence of of rebuilding and, and largely people continue to leave the country. And if anything, things continue to get worse. And then this is, uh, as I say, people again and again say, well, like things were even better in the midst of the all-out war. Things are now worse. So there is very little investment in, in, in public infrastructure and in repairing the immense damage that was done over the course of 10 years of war. And that's buildings. I'm also thinking of people. I'm remembering the wee boy whose picture went round the world. Their house was bombed. I think his brother was killed and he was sitting in the back of an ambulance. And the look on his face, I will never forget, of utter trauma, bewilderment just as if he'd been dropped from the sky into hell. And that trauma must still be reverberating around all the people there who are still struggling to survive. Yeah. One of the things I've learned is Syrians are immensely resilient and resourceful, but of course they carry this pain of the loss of the lives of people they loved and knew and their families and friends who have been killed. And you hear so many stories of saying goodbye to my friend or my my brother and the following morning they were dead. So all of this grief is there, but also families have been torn apart by the need of seeking refuge. So members of families living across the world, others continuing to leave. So you have a society that's sundered apart and there's a pain and a grief and a trauma there. And there's a kind of an overarching kind of existential crisis of what has this been about and what is the horizon I think some of us know here, having lived maybe in the West through COVID, there was times like, will this thing ever end? In Syria, they had a a sense during the out war that that it'll end and something will change. Now they're at a stage where they see no horizon of where this thing will end. And it's mentally and emotionally draining. And that, in a way, I often say they're almost lucky that they have to worry every day about the day-to-day meeting of ends of meat, because if they had time to think, I think they would, a lot of them would go, would go crazy, but that's not the solution to make them worry about their basic no. needs. There is huge need for psychological and psychosocial interventions. And that's why we are prioritizing a lot of our work with children to try and help the children most affected, living in households that have seen the worst of the trauma, to try and give them some sort of normalization of childhood and to give them skills of resilience because the resilience that I mentioned in Syrian, that's widespread, has come from strong families. But now many of the families are themselves under strain and they're not able to provide this this normal nurturing environment where people learn resilience. So this is one of the reasons we try and, and target children who are out forced to work instead of being in school uh, who don't have much chance to play so we provide informal education and places of play and also through that bringing some psychosocial input to help the children that are experiencing things like bedwetting social anxiety and just other evidences that these children are are traumatized Mm. And are JRS in Damascus, Homs and Aleppo? Yeah, JRS is in, in Damascus, Homs and Aleppo, and so three locations with three programs. We have a program in education for children. We have a program in health where we prioritize women and children, so gynecological services and pediatric services. And then we have a third program where we're... One of the dynamics in Syria, it's always been a, a society of a rich tapestry of people of different religions, different uh, cultural backgrounds, Many of those now are forced to live together in a way that they haven't 
wasn't before and there's a new dimension of what side of the the war you were on as well which gives another sense of potential uh, division. So what we try and do is provide centres where people can do ordinary things like uh, learn crafts, learn a language, learn computers, learn a place to study for, for teenagers. And they come there, irrespective of their background, into the centre to do common things together, ordinary things together. And in this way, they encounter each other. So the coffee break or the tea break, it becomes the place where you know, the the mother who is Muslim can meet the mother who is Christian, the, the one who is Alawite can meet the both of them. And in this way, they discover that, yes, there are divisions, but they actually have a lot more in common. You can call it a, a peace building or a social cohesion program, but it's one of my favorite interventions because the health and the education are very immediate needs. But this, I think, is trying to sow some hope for the future. Exactly. That's just what I was thinking, that maybe if there's any hope, it's going to be in a people that can bond together because they've always been used the country has always been a pawn and yet they've such a rich civilization heritage education really bright people it's it's tragic but that is a real ray of hope are you looking forward to come back i know that's a funny question but i I get a feeling from you the answer might be in the positive. Absolutely. There's so many beautiful things about Syria. The, the, I'm going looking forward to seeing my friends that I've made over there. The Jesuits in Syria are an amazing, vibrant, energetic group. And to see some of the people that we work with, some of them that I know, just to see their faces and their smiles. The weather in Syria, apart from the winter, which can be really bitter because of the lack of electricity and heating, I'll get a longer That's extension so that won't probably hit till November. And just, I remember walking around the old city of Damascus in this street called Strait that's mentioned in the Acts of the Apostles and seeing the, the church of Ananias where St. Paul was baptized. kind of had a deep sense within me that I owe so much to this city. And I think European culture owes an awful lot to, to Syria. It was one of the earliest places of Christianity. And there's a church in Sednaya where there's a catacomb from the time of persecution. There's a church from the early times of uh, when Christianity was mainstream. And then there's a church more of medieval times. So the three spaces together. So Syria is an amazingly rich place culturally and it's not a culture that's so different from ours. It is different, but there's a huge root that we share. And I just felt it's a, such a privilege to have this time in this wonderful city. It's the oldest inhabited capital city in the world. And it has this amazing feel about it. And it's really sad to see it falling apart in some ways. But it's a privilege to be walking those cobbled streets and these ancient buildings that whisper something of a hope that I think both Syria and the world need to hear right now. So in conclusion, Tony, for the Irish people and anybody across the world listening to this, pressurise for awareness on the situation. Um, support for JRS, perhaps just even financial, make a donation. You need the money to continue doing the great work you're doing. Yes, don't forget Syria. If people can make a contribution to the work of JRS, that would be wonderful. Make contact with the Irish Jesuits International Office in Dublin. The third thing is there are Syrians living amongst us here in Ireland, a small number. And maybe go out of your way to see are they doing okay? Are they integrating? Are they being supported? And they're amazing people. The Syrians have an amazing, rich, people-focused way of living. I, don't know, I, I think we also need not to lose sight, to create more spaces of welcome for Syrians who find they cannot 
live in Syria because of maybe they're coming from the area of conflict or just the situation is so desperate at the moment. We might call it economic migration, but my experience, Ireland would be lucky to get Syrians. They're, they're hardworking, they're smart, they're good people. And they have amazing food. They have amazing <laughs> food and amazing sense of beauty and class. They're a classy people. And it's a, this is one of the tragedies that their, their country has been devastated. We need to maybe walk with them to rediscover their depth and emerge into a new phase where they can share again the riches of Syria with the world.